What if you could hang out with seriously talented copywriters and other experts, ask them about their successes and failures, their work processes, and their habits, then steal an idea or two to inspire your own work? That's what Rob and I do every week at the Copywriter Club podcast. You're invited to join the club for episode 98 as we chat with freelance copywriter Tarzan Kay for the second time about her business and what's changed over the past year, what it takes to do a successful affiliate promotion, getting over money issues, and selling day rate intensive packages. Welcome back, Tarzan. Hey, Tarzan. Thanks for having me back, guys. We are so excited to have you back. In fact, like you're one of a very rare few people that have come back to the show more than once. So thanks for doing that. It's a real honor. You know, I actually think you guys should do more episodes, just the two of you, because I always really like those ones. They're some of my favorites. Oh, thank you for saying that. And now we'll let we'll let you go, and Kira and I will talk about ourselves. (laughs) And this interview is over. We are done. Thanks. Thanks for that. Hey, let's start out maybe Tarzan by you catching us up on what's been going on in your business over the last year, because last time we talked, and people can go back to that episode nine, eighty nine episodes ago. And check out what you said then. But what's been going on for you over the past year? Well, a lot has changed. So in August, I was surprised to learn that I was pregnant. Total surprise baby, which I wasn't planning for at all. And it threw like a major monkey wrench into my plans in the best way, though. So I had to adapt and figure out how I was going to take time off and really change kind of restructure a little bit. So for one thing, I use way more hours with my VA and I've scaled that up since learning that I was pregnant. In January and February, since then, I've pretty much transitioned to day rate work almost exclusively. I have two clients who I just love the heck out of so much and I still do project-based work for them. But everyone else, like any new leads that's coming in, everyone is exclusively day rate work. And part of that was just because toward like January, February, so the baby was due at the beginning of March and I was kind of like, I don't know, the baby could come early. I don't want to be booking a big project that's going to require like extensive research and lots of revisions and blah, blah, blah. So I need to do something that can be flexible and also be really lucrative. Another crazy thing that happened. So in the meantime, we bought a house and sold our old house. And like around sometime mid-January, the deal went a little bit haywire. And it ended up costing us like an extra $25,000 to like make all these sales go through. And it totally wiped out my maternity savings fund. Mm. So like starting in January, I was like, okay, I have to start from zero now and figure out how I'm actually going to be able to take time off. And so I did a little promo on my day rate. Like I did a buy one, get one half off. And I don't know, I suddenly got really confident about selling this offer. And I started, I mean, I've been doing day rate work for about a year, but it really clicked like the real value of it. And I was just like going like gangbusters with my sales calls. And I just decided, well, you know, that's what I decided to focus on. And I like that kind of work. So I was able to completely replenish my fund and take some time off, which I am now, even though we're recording this podcast, I'm sort of semi off. Okay. 
All right. So there's a lot in there. Congratulations on having a baby. <laughs> Thank you. I feel like this is a reason why I want to have another baby at some point because it would force me to develop systems and raise rates and, and do all these smart business changes that uh, yeah. kind of put some pressure on. I love when someone I follow gets pregnant and I'm like, <laughs> oh, this is so great. I can't wait to see how she's going to do it. <laughs> or if she'll fall apart. It could go mm-hmm. either way. Mm-hmm. So, well, it or both. It, it <laughs> both are inevitable. Let's talk about the day rate. I know we've had conversations about it in our think tank group, but this is new to a lot of copywriters. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. can you explain what it is exactly like why it's important and kind of where you started with it a year ago? So the thing is with the type of leads that I get, so many of them want what they want and they want it right now. So when I was doing more project-based work, it was like, I have this really long wait list And I'm turning away so many people. And I didn't like that feeling. I also did not like the idea of hiring a junior copywriter. I'm not into like the mentorship role as far as teaching copywriting. And I didn't want to be responsible for someone else's work. So I would just end up turning people away and referring them, which didn't feel good. So this day rate work is the solution because people can get on my calendar a lot faster and they can get the results that they need a lot sooner. So the thing is with these people I'm working with, like a lot of them are either optimizing an existing sales funnel. They're all selling courses, by the way. They're mostly women in the personal development space selling online courses. So some of them are coming up with their first course and some of them are optimizing an existing sales funnel. So in the case of them doing their first course... I don't really feel that good about selling someone a huge package if they haven't really validated their offer. Maybe they might have a small audience. Like that's a big issue with a lot of people is even if they have a great course, like they don't have any reach yet. So it almost doesn't matter how great their sales funnel is. It's just like they're going to cap out at like $10,000. So the day rate work solves a lot of different issues. So let's talk about how this works in because you've got clients that you work with on larger projects. Mm-hmm. How do you balance day rate clients against, you know, some of your larger clients that you're doing work for, you know, on a regular basis? And how do you make sure that, you know, somebody feels like they're getting the value, you know, when a new customer comes, how much do you accomplish? So let's go really deep into this and talk about all of the things. Okay, so if I'm working on a project, I try not to have day rate clients overlapping. So let's say I am writing a sales page for one of my clients who's not doing a day rate thing. I would probably book two weeks out of my schedule for that. And I wouldn't do any day rate people in the meantime. So it's kind of an either or situation. Sometimes I'm doing both. Here's the thing about day rates. I get asked about it a lot. And they want to have it all figured out before they ever make the offer. And you will never have it all figured out before you make the offer, like in terms of how to sell it, how much you can do, and what's going to really delight the client and what is going to leave them feeling like this wasn't worth it. Like all of that stuff I've just learned as I go. Like I know other copywriters who do day rate work. And I think they will also say every project is different And the way every copywriter does it is different. So if you're going to do day rate work, I recommend just putting the offer out there, like whatever it is, I started with $1,000 a day. 
And I worked with a couple clients at a thousand and I slowly raised it and raised it as I started to understand the value and also became better able to estimate what I can do. So that's really important. Like if it feels scary to throw out a day rate of a few thousand dollars, well, you can put out a day rate of something that feels comfortable for you that you absolutely know you can deliver that value and then just see how it goes. And initially, when I first started doing this kind of work, that one day would often bleed into the next day, or I would end up like answering a lot of emails and like doing a lot of strategy on the side, just because I wasn't able to like keep it in the container of one day. So that really comes with practice and learning what you're able to do and not over promising. Like I really try and under promise so that let's say someone needs an email sequence and I'll say, okay, great, let's book a day. We're going to spend the day is six hours, by the way, but it usually stretches to eight because I eat lunch and take breaks and all that. But again, that's like about not over promising. So it's a six hour day, we start by talking about the program and doing some strategy and outlining the promo sequence, like let's say, okay, it's a five day card open time, there's going to be a total of 10 emails. And this is exactly what's going to go in each email. So I make sure that they have a good strategy and that they know exactly what is the purpose of each email. Why are you sending an email? What time? What's in it? Kind of thing. Like, so it's just a loose outline. And of course, we'll talk about things like formatting and, you know, making your emails readable and pleasant. And then I'll do like maybe three emails if it's a full day. So that's what I'm coming to the client and saying, look, you need an email sequence. We're going to do this strategy. I'm going to write some of them. I'll do the really important ones like the cart open and the cart close. It's really helpful if they have really good drafts. So sometimes I'll provide them with a template. Like if I'm doing a day rate on a sales page, I give them a template or maybe they already have a good sales page and then I can do a lot more. So when I'm selling it on the call, I make sure that they know this is collaborative. This isn't a done for you thing. If you want a done for you option, it has to be more of a project. Um, but because of where my clients are in their businesses, done with you actually makes more sense and is a lot more cost effective. And then they're learning at the same time because like even some of my biggest clients, like they still write a lot of their own emails. They're still participating in like what's going on the sales page and what the messaging strategy is. So it wouldn't be wise to outsource all of your copy right from the beginning, no matter how bad you want to. So that's part of the value of a day rate too, is like they're learning so that they can participate in the process. I've tested it maybe once since we had talked about it originally. Mm -hmm. And what I really liked about putting the offer out there is the way that you present it is like, Hey, this is the first time I'm offering this. This might be a really great opportunity for you, or you could buy a package for $10,000. So it's also a good mm -hmm. way to sell the big package because some clients mm. will hear that and say, Oh no, 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 no. Like I want everything. I don't just want a day of your time. Mm -hmm. I want you to write the entire launch. So I feel like it's an easier way to kind of sell the bigger packages if you have that option out there. That's huge. And it actually works both ways. So if you said something like that, the client may also look at the day rate as an inexpensive option. So even if it's right. $3,000 for a day, well, if you compare that to giving me 10, well, that's quite a big savings. And potentially, I could pitch it in such a way that the outcome is similar. Right. Yeah. So can you talk more about during that day, what does your communication with the client look like? How many phone calls or how often are you on Zoom chatting with them? Yeah. So again, it varies. So currently with my scheduling software, Acuity, 
it actually has like in some of the reminder emails, there's a schedule of how the day is going to go. And I just realized recently that I have to remove that because it's often different or I need to revise it. Because what it says in that email is we start the day with a call, which can be like an hour. And after a full hour of talking, we both need a break for sure. So usually at that time, I will get off the phone and I will be writing for a couple hours. We'll have a call in the middle of the afternoon. At that point, I'll have shared a Google Doc with them that they can look over. So we get on the phone again and we discuss it. And then I have you know maybe an hour or two at the end of the day to finish up. And sometimes I'll say at the afternoon call, like, look, we can have a call at the end of the day, or I can just use all of our time to get the most amount of writing done possible. But I would recommend when you're starting out to have a call at the end of the day, because initially I found that people would be like, are we done? Like, are you doing more? Like they need that closure. So now I'm able to give them that closure without doing the call. But for the most part, you should do a call at the end of the day. So that's like the standard how the day goes. But oftentimes, like I have one client that I did just recently, and it was way more like she needed a lot more launch strategy because she had a program that was like converting okay, but her strategy was a little bit broken and required too much like manual lifting on her part. And also because I have this little baby, I wasn't sure if I could do a full day session. So I split it up into two half day sessions. And we spent a full three hours on the phone only on strategy and like mapping things out. And then the following week, I did the other half day and she wasn't even there at all. We didn't even talk. I just was writing and that's it. Okay. And you mentioned that you charged $1,000 for the day. Initially, Mm -hmm. can you talk about how that price has changed over the year? Yeah, so I started in 2016 in September, offering this $1,000 day rate. And then in early 2017, early last year, it started to become a little bit more popular, I guess how I was able to sell it better. So I was getting more clients and feeling more confident at this $1,000 day rate. So quite quickly, I raised it to 1500. And then by the end of last summer, I had already put it up to 2500. I just there was a lot of demand and I felt I could deliver the value. So I just raised it and I've kept it there since then. So I'm just sort of getting ready to go back to work and I'm doing one day and a half day each week. So I have really limited time and I have excellent lead gen. So I decided to raise it to 3000. So I just sent an email to my waitlist and to some of my previous day rate clients to say, hey, you have until X date to book it at the old rate and then it's going up to $3,000. So I haven't actually sold it at $3,000 and it feels a little bit uncomfortable But it's kind of in the discomfort sweet spot of like, woo, that's (laughs) like, uh, can I do it? Like, I think I can. So that's where I am right now. So it's going up to 3000. But I feel like I should say I haven't actually sold one at 3000 yet, but I can sell at 2500 all day long. So talk a little bit about how your customers have reacted to this. Once they go through a day with you, do they want to buy more days or do they want to book a project? It sounds like with a wait list, they're not being turned away from this. It's been a good thing for you. Yeah. Oh, it's been a really great thing. So far, I haven't really gotten the hang. I'm just right now getting the hang of selling multiple days. 
Because up until now, it's been a one-off. Like we'll do this one day and then sometimes at the end of the day, we'll see where we're at. Like the thing is, I don't want them to book a day and then realize like, whoops, I actually needed three. So I've always been really cautious about what I promise and what I tell them I can do in a day. And up until now, it hasn't included saying, by the way, you should do three. Because to me, it feels a little bit scary to do three days for $9,000. Like I'm still working through that as well, even if I feel I can deliver the value. Has it changed the way that you price your other projects? Yeah, actually, that's part of the reason why I'm not doing project-based work anymore. Like I have these two clients that I love, but the day rate work is so lucrative that the project-based work, I can't keep up. Like I end up earning less. Right. And I also, for a big project, I don't know, maybe it might be that I'm like insecure about my skill level or something, but I'm not at the place where I feel comfortable charging $20,000 to write a launch funnel. But the thing is, is at the same time, I mean, that doesn't feel crazy to me, but it feels like a lot. So at the same time, I could like, If I'm going to do a $20,000 launch funnel, write all the copy, it's probably going to take me a month. But like I could make the same amount on a day rate with a couple of day rate clients and I would be working less. So that's another reason why I've put a huge focus on the day rate work. It's just it's more lucrative and it makes more sense to me. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then it creates more demand for the big launch packages because you're offering less of them. So you'll have more people who are likely to pay the $20,000 for it. Yeah, that's true too. But I'm also not sure I really want to do that. It's a lot of work. Yeah, it's so much work. And it feels like there's way more on the line. Like if someone's going to give me $20,000, and I feel responsible for their success of their launch, even though they could have some epic mess up behind the scenes and get no show ups to their webinar, and it crushes the whole launch, right? I'm still going to feel like it's my fault. And they paid me 20,000 and didn't see ROI. So it's scary for me. And there's like more variables. I don't know, I recognize that it's a mindset issue. And the day rate is like where I'm most comfortable. And I know people are going to get the value. And it's less of a risk to them, like $3,000. With the type of client I work with, it's an investment, but it's not a ton of money. Like you're not going to go cry if it's not perfect. Yeah, like this makes so much sense for where you are in your business and for other copywriters who have that demand and have a wait list. Do you think it makes sense to start with an offer like this? If you're a relatively new copywriter, let's say you're in your first year. Well, I think it can work. Probably in the ideal scenario, you have really good lead gen. Of course, it's always easier to sell anything when you have good lead gen because you're not showing up to a call like desperate to make the (laughs) sale and like so nervous. And like if they say no, like, oh my God, where is my next lead going to come from? So it's easier to sell anything when you're more advanced in your practice. But like when I started this offer, I wasn't that experienced. I was like eight or nine months into my business. So of course, you can do it in your first year. It's all about confidence and your belief in your own ability to deliver. Yeah. And you mentioned mindset a couple of times. So how do you work through your money mindset, especially as you went from $1,000 to now you know, putting an offer out there for $3,000 a day? What do you have to do in your own business and internally to continue to grow? Well, I think it comes down to your own like self-care and spiritual practices. Those are really important. And your willingness to challenge yourself and be uncomfortable. 
because working on money stuff is often very uncomfortable. So you have to be willing to like look at that and be told no. But actually, as even as I'm saying that, I don't get told no very often. But you know, I take courses. I just promoted this program, Money Bootcamp, with Denise Stuffield Thomas, and that's all about working through your money stuff and like really examining where you may be sabotaging yourself and like looking at your old stories around money, like what your parents taught you, all these sort of memes that are running in your head all the time. I'm actively working on that all the time, and not like a ton. It's not like I'm listening to videos and meditating on it every day. I'm not at all, but it's always running in the background. Like, what am I doing to improve myself when I'm pricing something or pitching a client? I have a dialogue going on all the time. It's like, what is motivating this decision? I realized the other day how like the people who I know who are really successful, I measure my rates against them. Like one of my big things is I can't charge more for a day than Laura Belgray because I think she's so great. And like, I've done some time-based work with her. Like she's so much more experienced than me. So like, that's something that's running in the background. Like don't like get too close to her rate because you're not there yet. What is she charging these days? So she just raised her rates to 5200 But two years ago when I worked with her, I just did like a one hour with her. But her rate back then was 3500 So even me, like I'm approaching that rate that she was two years ago. And it brings up all this stuff for me. Like, And some of the people I follow online who are like really doing successful launches and doing all kinds of things, like another one of my big things is I'm not as smart as that person. Subconsciously, I'm not saying like, I can't do what this person is doing because I'm not that smart, but it's running in the background. And so taking the time to look at what's motivating your decisions around pricing and money is really important because you come up with stuff like that. Like that was a big aha for me a couple days ago. It was like, oh, whoa, I actually have this belief that I'm not smart enough, which I didn't think I did. But I do look at one of my Facebook friends, Julie Stoyan. She's big in ClickFunnels and the Russell Brunson world. She does the most like epic, awesome Facebook posts. And every time I read one, there's thought is echoing in the background. Like I can't be as successful as her because I'm not as smart and I'm not as clever. So we all have those. They're running somewhere and they need to be dealt with because they don't go away. It's like this old friend that pops up at every level. It's like, oh, this old friend again. Now, like I thought I wasn't as smart as this person. And then I got to their level of success. But now I've decided I'm not as smart as this person. So I can't get to their level of success. Like they come back again and again. And you have to know what those triggers are so that you can work around them. So I want to come back to this idea of mindset in just a second, but I have one last question about day rates before we leave that. Is there a business or a type of project or you know copywriters who should not consider day rates or do you think it could work for anybody? Well, I only know from my own experience. So the only things I've done on day rate, well, I do strategy, emails, sales pages, and very rarely, but on occasion, I do work on people's websites. So I know it works for all of those things. Like once they're at the level of seven figures, I don't think they really want the quick and inexpensive option. Like if you're planning your launches, say six months in advance, and if you're launching a new program and you have a history of seven figure launches, like you should not be booking me for a date rate. We need to do a proper project and I have to do customer interviews and like 
really spend time on this thing and do it justice because you wouldn't be serving the success of your program to do this done with you kind of option. Also, if they're really super busy and they're not going to be able to help you and be there during the day, then that's another red flag. Another thing to know is like most of my client, well, actually all of my clients, they are personal brands. So I don't know how this would work if it was a company, if I were representing some corporation. I can't speak to that, but I could definitely see how it might be a bit of a red flag. All right. So let's jump back to mindset. When we talked to you in episode nine, we talked a little bit about money and some of the crazy things that we think about money. And you're going Mm -hmm. even deeper. It's not just about money. It's, you know, all of these limiting beliefs that we have. But my question is because all of these things are going on inside our head. I think Perry Marshall calls it head trash. Mm -hmm. You know, they impact the way we think. And oftentimes it's really hard to see that it's even there. So how do we step out of our own brains to get an outsider perspective and say, oh yeah, I am dealing with a problem, you know, with my own belief in myself or with money or with my thinking about my capabilities, you know, as a speaker or on stage, or I don't look as good as somebody else. Like how do you even step away to see all of that stuff? Well, I mean, we're doing it right now by having this conversation. I think a lot of us just get so busy in our lives. And I definitely feel that now with two kids and a young baby. It's easy to just like show up to work and do the work and come home and not think about it. But it has to be part of your daily routine built into your life that you invest in like working with coaches and taking courses and like reading books on your money mindset. I mean, we all have tools, like for some people, they use meditation. I'm not going to recommend that because I know I have been a really lazy meditator in the last couple of years. But for some people that really works. And that's definitely on my to-do list of like something I should be doing and is the ultimate in stepping outside of your daily experience and being able to look at what's going on there. But we all have our own tools. And I think a lot of us know what we should be doing, but we're probably not doing it. So like meditation, but I do other things like right now, I mentioned this program money bootcamp, I bought it years ago, there's a live round going on right now. So I'm working through that program again, because I know new stuff has come up. And I should probably examine like my old stories and revisit where I may be newly sabotaging myself now. So even just like putting some dedicated time aside to look at these things, like the same way you put aside time to go to the gym, you have to like do your spiritual gym work as well. Before we started recording, we were talking about your pool. And so I think it's inspiring for copywriters to hear from successful copywriters like yourself that you can buy a house with a pool and you can do it as a copywriter. So beyond the fact that I just want to talk about your pool and whether or not you're (laughs) going to get a slide and all of that, my question here is, what do you think your money personality is? Like we were talking about a little bit earlier, but do we all have different money personalities? Do we need to think about that? And can we change our money personality or is it who we are? Or what do you want to? So this is not a topic I'm very well versed in. I just took a quiz like last year at some point, and it was a really interesting quiz. And the result of my money personality was the celebrity. (laughs) And that totally resonates with me. Like, I want to be on stage. I want the applause. I want people to be telling me like, I'm so great. And Tarzan's so awesome. And if I could afford like a phantom Rolls Royce, I would probably drive one or I would have someone drive me around in line, actually. (laughs) I know that that's my style. 
And I do need to like sometimes question like, is this something I really want? Or am I just trying to look good and sound good and have more people pat me on the back? But I won't speak any more to that because I haven't done a lot of research. But I do think definitely people have a money personality. Like my partner, like he's a real caregiver. So he spends money on things that are going to help the family. Like yesterday, we were shopping for a fence for our backyard. I'm totally scared one of my young kids is going to run into the pool. So we're shopping for a fence and he wants to build the fence. And I was like, well, you know, that means I have to take a day off work. So that's going to cost us 3000 which is basically $4,000 Canadian. So I'm like, why wouldn't we just pay someone to build a fence for us? But for him, he's like, no, building the fence, it's an experience. Like, <laughs> I want to like give the kid a hammer and like, we're going to build it together. And like, he does a lot in our house, a lot of work because he wants to put his own energy into it. And like, so he doesn't want to spend money to just get out of a job because his personality is the caregiver. Does that make sense? Interesting. Yeah, no, it makes complete sense. My husband's the same way. I'm sitting here trying to figure out like, what is my money personality? Because I... <laughs> You need to take the quiz. Uh, probably. I think I'm a money hoarder. Like I really hate spending money, which maybe means <laughs> that I'm cheap, but I don't know. It's making me re-examine like, okay, what's the stuff that's in my head around money? Like, how do I need to rethink it? Do I need to, you know, have the mantra, you know, that money flows easily to me, yes. those kinds of things in order to be able to overcome that? Or do I just deal with it and say, okay, I'm cheap and I'm always going to be that way, right? Well, I doubt that you're cheap and you're always going to be that way. But I know like what some of the people I follow would probably point to potentially a belief that there's not enough and that you have to save and like hoard because things could fall apart at any time. So like a lot of people that have that tendency to like hold their money and not spend freely maybe came from like a family who didn't have enough. So you are like trying to get more and get more and like accumulate it because you never want your kids to be in a position where like there's not enough money and they have to like wear tattered clothes to school or something. Yeah, this is why Rob we're a perfect partnership because I'm a spender. Right. So we balance each other out. Mm. This is good. We couldn't both yeah, be spenders. Or one of us dominates the other, right? And oh wait, where'd all the money go? And, you know, who knows? <laughs> Yeah, well, I hear that because I am a spender too. And while I may have learned to earn money, learning how to keep it and grow it is totally new for me and is like the frontier that I'm now working on. Yeah, we'll bring you back for round three when you've conquered that. So great. great. <laughs> Let's talk about, you know, you run successful affiliate launches and promotions. So there's a lot we can ask you about that. But to start, what have you learned about launching period? Like the biggest lesson from working on these affiliate launches? Whoa, the biggest lesson? Well, the reason that I wanted to talk about affiliate launches is because for people who are working in that space or copywriters who want to work in that space, it is a really great way to practice. I mean, whether you're doing an affiliate launch for someone else or for your own product, like it's a lot of work. And to then finish the launch and immediately have to start delivering on a course, it's a lot and it can be high stress, particularly if you're launching something for the first time. So I think an affiliate launch is a really awesome training ground. And I really recommend that people do that. And also, when you start doing affiliate launches, you realize like you start making money from your email list. 
So it makes the motivation to actually grow your email list a lot stronger. Like now, every time I run an email launch, I'm like, why don't I do more list building? Because I probably could have done double the sales if I had double the list. That was a big takeaway for me. And I recommend that people try that, try promoting something. If they have even a small list, like even a few hundred people, it feels wonderful. Like the first time you make an affiliate sale and you get a commission on something that you don't have to deliver on, it's the coolest feeling and you will want more of it for sure. Yeah. So can we get specific on a couple of launches that you've done? I know you did one for B-School a year ago. I don't know that you necessarily won the top prize, but you did really well as a first timer, right? Tell us some of the specific things you did. Yeah. Okay. So B-School was my first affiliate launch and I did that last year and again this year. In retrospect, like I didn't realize that it was a very brave thing for me to be doing because there is a lot of competition for the sale. And the competition is like really big names who have huge email lists and who are, you know, tough to compete with because they're really awesome. So I don't know that I would have chosen that if I could have a redo, but it ended up being a really good thing because I put my all into that launch, knowing that it would be a total waste of time if I didn't fully show up to it. So the first thing I did, and this is something that a lot of people don't do with affiliate launches, is I had a dedicated sales page. And I've only done this for B-School. I've promoted a few other things and I haven't done the dedicated sales page and it really makes a difference. In B-School, like if you don't do a dedicated sales page, like maybe you'll get one or two sales, but you have to because that's like the competition is so high. So on this sales page, like it's not a sales page for the course. It's a sales page for why you should sign up to this course through me. You kind of presume that they're already sold because they know they're going to buy it and now they're bonus shopping. So I'll tell them what my story is, why I think they should sign up through me. Here are my bonuses and then make the case for why they should choose my bonus over someone else's bonus. So that is a really important piece of it. This year, even though it it did pretty okay last year, I redid that sales page, redesigned it, and I didn't reuse the sales page. I just felt like I wanted something stronger and more beautiful. So I did, and it worked better. So I did that. And then I did an email sequence just the same as I would have if it were my own launch. So Marie Forleo does like a PLF style launch with a webinar. So there's like the three video series and then there's a webinar. So I wrote emails for all of that content. Also hosted my own webinar. This was something that I tried out this year. The webinar was like technically a total disaster. So I can't speak to how effective it was, but I'm definitely going to do it again next year. So I hosted my own webinar and talked to people about like, again, sharing my own story of B-School and what my bonuses are, why they should sign up through me. And then during the launch period, like the cart open time, I sent emails every day and several emails a day toward the end. So I treated it like it was my own launch and I did all the things. Like like I've done my own launches and not even sent that many (laughs) emails or done a webinar or all that. So I almost treated it more seriously because you have to. Like that sale, again, is like really competitive. So you just like show up all the way or don't bother. But for other affiliate promos, like we both had promoted 10x freelance copywriter last mm-hmm. year. For that, like I just sent out five emails. I think it was a five day card open time. So I sent out five or six emails. 
And then I also did another promoted money bootcamp recently. And I had intended to go all the way because I know I could have really crushed it if I'd had that dedicated sales page and done all the things. But I was also like, I actually would rather just hang out with this newborn baby (laughs) than write a sales page. So I didn't go all the way. But I mean, the more you put into it, the more you get out of it, like any launch. I think like you have to offer bonuses for sure. Because no one's going to take the time or very few people will take the time to sign up through your link unless there's some incentive for them. So no matter what, always bonuses. And for B-School, because it's so competitive, I offer one-on-one time with me. And depending on the commission on the program, I'm happy to offer time. But like if the commission is any less than $1,000, really, I will try and focus on stuff I can deliver that doesn't require time for me, maybe extra VA time. I am weary of offering a free program when they sign up for another program, even though I know it works. But I feel like morally, I can't get behind it. Because like when people don't pay for a course, they're a lot less likely to do it. And for a course like B-School, which is already a big eight-week program and is a lot for most of the people that take it, like piling another course on top of it is not only not helpful, but can sometimes even be detrimental. So I'm trying not to do that, but by the same token, I know it works. So this year with B-School, one of my bonuses was that they could choose one of three programs and it's not released until B-School is over. And I threw it in there because I know people want it. But the most of my bonuses, like the one-on-one time and like a website audit, that's what they really need. So you have to strike a balance between the bonuses that people need and what's actually going to be tempting and cause them to actually sign up through you. It is funny how you take affiliate launches almost more seriously than your own launches. I feel like when we promoted the Copy Hackers 10x Freelance Copywriter, we went all in way more than we do with our own launches and gave away just about everything. Tickets to the event, one-on-one sessions, lunches, like wine and dine. Like we did all of it. I was so blown away. I was watching the promotion and I was like, I don't know how they are doing this. This is amazing. (laughs) And actually, to be honest, Sometime midweek, I unsubscribed because I was like, I I can't watch this. I really like this is too much for me. And that's a hard part of doing an affiliate launch. So this last launch I did, they had a private Facebook group for the promotional, like the JV partners. And every single day, they would post stats like a leaderboard of who's sent the most leads. And then thankfully, they didn't do it during the card open time. It was only like when they were getting leads. And I was like, I am dying right now. This is like, so hard to watch. Like what's happening with the competition and exactly who's doing what and like, I intentionally tune it out. Especially like, I mean, I loved that promo that you guys did. I thought the emails were so well written. I even saved some of them so I could make templates out of them. It was such a great promotion. I really noticed how much work and love you guys put into that. And and I think it was just you guys and me that were promoting that course. But with B-School, like there is so many more JVs And they are like established businesses with teams of like seven or eight people and their Instagram game is like ridiculous. And they've got like 
so many arms promoting the program and anyone who's promoting it that's in my inbox, I'm just like unsubscribe, delete, like I can't look at this. Yeah. Because it, it's just it's too hard. I think that's probably a good good philosophy in general for just dealing with competition at times in business. So Tarzan, I want to ask you one more question because I know we're almost out of time. But because you're in the middle of it, you know, your baby is two months old. What would you say to another parent who's about to have a baby or thinking about having one? Like, what is your best piece of advice around dealing with maternity or paternity leave lesson learned from your current experience? So I think much the same as I would say about doing a day rate. It's like, if I had planned this child, this child would never have come into the world. Because it was too scary to think about putting my business aside for any period of time. And I felt like I'm going to lose the momentum. It was just way too scary. So I don't know that I would have come up with the courage to actually do it. But because of the way it turned out, like we had this beautiful surprise baby and I just figured it out. So that's the first thing. Like our first child was planned and we were much like financially, like we weren't doing well at all. Our relationship was very new. Like, I don't know how we found the courage back then. And then now it was seemed more impossible. So my first bit of advice would be like, just if you want to have another child, like you have to just go for it and trust you're going to figure it out. But in terms of how we actually did plan, I think day rate, being able to do day rate work is really great or having some small clean packages, maybe a productized service that you can do if you can step away from your baby. Like I'm fortunate that my husband is full-time stay-at-home dad and I know not everyone is that lucky. But if you have something that you can step away for like a product that can sell in the background for you and you can just like crack it out in an hour or two and make some good bank, that would be a really great option. Also, like, so that's for me, this day rate work is, has been really great. And the affiliate promo as well. So anytime you're promoting an affiliate program that has like a good commission, you're creating passive revenue, right? Because with affiliate programs, you get paid as the course creator gets paid. So usually after the promotion, you get a lump sum payment from like all the students who paid in full, but most people are on a payment plan. Therefore, like with B-School, lump sum check for the people who paid in full. And then for the next 12 months, I have some recurring income coming in. So any way that you can generate that recurring income is really helpful. And that might be like some templates that you're selling or whatever. There are so many different ways to do it, but that's what worked for me. It's good advice. So Tarzan, I have one last question for you. You're in our group. You see the kinds of questions that come up there, the kinds of people asking for help. What general advice do you have for copywriters who are you know, starting out or just starting to get their feet underneath them in their business that will just help them take their business to the next level, much like you've done over the past year? I would really like to see more copywriters focusing on being an awesome service provider. I think I see a lot of people wanting to take more courses and that's really great. And that's to me, like that's a little bit of a struggle and a sore spot for me. I always think I should be learning more about copywriting. So that's really important. I'm not saying it's not, but it's not what makes you money when you're starting out. Like you have to get the money in the door. And it's also a way of procrastinating. Like I can't put my offer out there until I've taken like 5 billion more courses on how to do copywriting 
you're really going to learn the most when you're actually on the job doing work for people. So I would like them to focus on getting great at sales and providing an A-list service, like really showing up for the client and adding those sort of special touches that make people want to make them rave about you to their friends and family and colleagues. That's incredible advice to end this conversation on. So thank you, Tarzan, for taking time time again to hang out with us and share all your insights and be so open about everything in your business and life. It's a total pleasure. Yeah, we'll have to have you back. We'll have to have you back in another 89 episodes. Round three, yeah, for sure. We'll do it in 2019. I can't wait. You've been listening to the Copywriter Club podcast with Kira Hug and Rob Marsh. Music for the show is a clip from Gravity by Whitest Boy Alive, available in iTunes. If you like what you've heard, you can help us spread the word by subscribing in iTunes and by leaving a review. For show notes, a full transcript, and links to our free Facebook community, visit thecopywriterclub.com. We'll see you next episode. Mm-hmm.